John chapter 3, I'll begin at verse 22, and then we'll continue uh, through the end of the chapter. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who was has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So, Spirit, once again, we ask that as we come to your inspired word here, that you take these words and press them into our heart. It's always our, our prayer or request, Lord, that you do that in the moment that we're looking at these phrases and words and sentences, Lord. Make them ours, shape our minds, help us to grow to be more like you, Jesus, in our understanding of this passage. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So here John is, the Apostle John, and he's finishing this wonderful chapter, chapter 3, and he's laying out, trying to answer the pressing question of the day, and the pressing question today, in our time, who is Jesus? That's the issue for the, the people in the day of the Apostle in our time today is who is Jesus? Now, he's going to, going to take his whole gospel to lay that out. But in particular, here in these beginning sections, he really is laying out forcefully who this Jesus is. You'll remember in the prologue, he sets out what we see in that prologue, those first 18 verses of chapter 1, that Jesus, the Word, is God. That's who Jesus is. Then he moves into chapter 2 and, and 3, and he's displaying and showing the, the authority of Jesus. And he wants people to be clear about that. But there's some concern among the people 
Here's John the Baptist has shown up, and he's attracted quite a crowd. The, the, the people that, that are, are working in the area, perhaps farmers and people in the area have come to John, and then other, also the religious elite have come to John. I'm wondering out who he is, and really the notoriety of, the, of John the Baptist is really risen. Well, the, Jesus is on the scene now, and his notoriety is rising too. So there would be some who are wondering, well, what about this John the Baptist? Perhaps he's greater than Jesus. And the Apostle John is laying out, no, the, the John the Baptist, he's one that's pointing to the Messiah. He's pointing to Jesus. Jesus is greater. Jesus has more authority. So the Apostle is really laying that out and trying to establish that fact really early on in his teaching. Starts out and says, after this, and this is after the time Jesus was in Jerusalem. You'll remember the overturning of the tables and, and his time in Jerusalem that we've, we've looked at. And he says, after, after this, he and his disciples went to the Judean countryside. So he moves out of the city and he goes into the rural area, into the Judean countryside. You'll remember that Jesus is... Uh, remembered as a Galilean in time in chapter 4 he will go to Galilee but here he moves out of Jerusalem into the the region of Judea outside of Jerusalem that's that southern portion of Israel the nation of Israel uh, that Judean area he moves out there and that's where John the Baptist is too in his ministry and his work that's just important for us just to capture that. We don't have to dwell on it, but just to recognize that. Because in the, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they come out of, when Jesus comes out uh, into his public ministry, it, they record him going right into Galilee, into his public ministry. They don't record this Judean part of it. About a year, maybe a year and a half, has transpired uh, since Jesus, the temptation in the wilderness, and then what comes on the scene in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Well, John, we would wonder what was Jesus doing during that time between that temptation in the wilderness that Matthew records so well for us, and then when we hear him and read about his ministry in Galilee, well, John is filling in that space for us. What Jesus was doing after He was in Jerusalem, He came out into the Judean countryside. So just a good observation for us to, to capture that there. You'll notice the word baptizing is used several times. The disciples are there and, and uh, it says that, of course, John the Baptist was baptizing, but Jesus, is, says, was baptizing. And then in verse 23, people were coming and being baptized. Well, we've thought about this already in our, our, our study. What is this baptism? Well, it would have created a lot of concern for the people, especially the religious leaders, about all of these people coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. Now they're coming to Jesus and being baptized. Remember, when we thought about this a few weeks ago, in Judaism, to be baptized was symbolic of a person crossing over. They had stepped over out of their whatever religious affiliation, whatever 
religious background they had they're stepping over into to Judaism and it's a sign of commitment it's how the people interpret it it's a commitment I'm all sold out for that and so now John's doing this something different should he be doing that and then Jesus shows up on the scene and he's doing that too a couple of interesting points in the scriptures just as we get started in the second verse of chapter 4 if you just turn in your Bibles to chapter 4 we see something interesting there in the first two verses chapter 4 of John now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John although Jesus himself did not baptize but only the, the disciples so that's interesting. That's a very, John is laying that out there, that Jesus himself was not baptizing. It was the, the disciples. You can imagine how later on in uh, the ministry of the apostles that uh, the tension that might have uh, arisen, someone saying, I was baptized by Jesus. <laughs> Were you baptized by Jesus? There, there might be some, uh, some, some pride working in their, in their heart because of that. Also in chapter 7 in your, your Bibles, you'll see something interesting too. If we turn to chapter 7, uh, verse 39, 37, 38, and 39. That's something interesting that we'll get to in a, in a few weeks. John chapter 7, verse 37, 38, 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so that verse indicates to us the Spirit hasn't been given in the Apostle. Paul is very clear in, in chapter 8 of Romans that without the Spirit, a person cannot be a Christian, but the Spirit had not been given yet. We put that together, what John the Apostle himself is saying here, this baptism that Jesus is doing, his disciples are doing, is not a Christian baptism. It's very similar to what the, the John the Baptist is doing with a baptism of repentance in preparation for the Messiah and so uh, that baptism is going on but there's some tension with the disciples themselves the disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus Christ uh, there's this why are all these people why is Jesus getting more popularity more popular than John himself is how is that working and the that 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 uh, pride is working in the hearts of the disciples which causes the uh, John the Baptist to tell us some things that we'll look at in a, in a few moments also in verse 25 now a discussion that's actually a dispute actually a dispute arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification over purification I mean, purification rites and, and the water that's being used there we thought on that a couple weeks ago so we have this big idea, this big theme that John is laying out. Who is Jesus? 
And really, that's, that's the issue, and that's what's at stake at this point in his gospel and all through the gospel is the nature of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. The apostle wants you and I, wants the, all the readers down through the century to know the nature of who Jesus is. God, Jesus has the very nature of God himself, the most supreme, high God himself, the very nature. Wants, wants us to be clear about that, to be clear about the deity of Jesus. The full humanity of Jesus is also important, but here John is laying out the authority and the, the greatness and the wonder of Jesus. So that is the issue being dealt with. Close to that for us to consider is that the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, is worthy of all of our devotion because he is above all. He's above all. In verse 31, the Apostle John says, He who comes from above is above all. So, mathematically, not, but if we were to use a mathematical sign, we could say, Jesus is greater than. The greater than sign. Greater than what? Everything. That's what the Apostle John is making clear, and the Apostle Paul will make clear. The, the Matthew and, and Luke does the same thing. Mark in, in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is above all. He is greater than, you fill in the blank, He's greater than my religion, He's greater than my religion. Greater than my ancestor, greater than my ancestor. Greater than my career, greater than my career. Greater than my education, greater than my education. Greater than my spouse, yes, greater than my spouse. Greater than my church, yes, greater than my church. Greater than anything. Jesus is above all. And that's what the apostle is trying to drill down and, and reinforce. Now if we just look at our, our scriptures, we'll, we'll see this message over these two chapters just unfolding. If you just turn in your Bibles back to the second chapter, we see that there he is at that wedding in Canaan. We thought about that. Remember the, the abundance that Jesus brings? John chapter 2, that, those verses, those 12 verses flowing there. He, he brings out that abundance, the abundance of wine and the abundance that is something new is in those purification jars. It's not the old water of the religious rite of purification. Something new. He, Jesus is greater than what is symbolized than by those purification jars. And then we remember him coming into Jerusalem, into the temple. He's greater than the religious authorities. He's greater than that stone. He is the temple. He is the true temple. He has authority over all religious things over the nation of Israel. He cleanses that temple. And then in verse 23 of John chapter 2, we read down here that Jesus knows the mind of human beings. He knows what their thoughts were. Yeah, he, great, Jesus is greater than what? Your, your mind? Yeah, he's greater than your mind. He's greater than their. He knows the mind of what people are are thinking. Then we come, we come and see this renewal that goes on in chapter 3 and in verse 
5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and we look deeply at that, but this purification that must go on with, within and the Spirit of God working in the, the, the life of, of the person, Jesus being greater than the prophets and what they were pointing to, that this one day would happen, Jesus is what is going to happen. He, he is there, and He is what the prophets, prophets were pointing to. And then in, in chapter 3 and verses of 14 and, and 15, and as, the, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Jesus is the one who provides the rescue. The religion doesn't provide the rescue. The, again, the heritage or whatever else we think it might are, are, are uh, rituals doesn't provide the rescue. Jesus is greater than all of that. Whoever looks to Jesus will find rescue. And, and then we even find that John the Baptist himself says that Jesus, his mess, John's message is, is Jesus is greater than I am. It's what John is saying in verses 27 and, and 30. In chapter 3, John answered, A person cannot receive a thing unless it is given from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. So John is saying he is not greater than Jesus. Jesus is greater than even, even the greatest of all of the prophets. All of the Old Testament prophets, of which John the Baptist was the last, he's greater than John. So Jesus is just above all, above anything. He's greater than. We can use, again, as I say, that, that greater than sign. And then Jesus is above all. Isn't that what the apostle says? He who, who, he's from above, and he is above all. In 31 and in 32, he who comes from above is above all and he means all 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 that's what's in heaven and all that is in uh, the earth not only that in verse 34 for he whom god has sent utters the words of god for he gives the spirit without measure jesus is above anything anybody else would claim about their spiritual walk jesus has the the spirit of god god has given the spirit of god to jesus without measure he is above all no one ever ever has the measure of the spirit that jesus does he's above all things verse 35 and not only that but eternal life itself the great grand eternal life itself is found in jesus the picture the apostle john is putting out and again not too startling for some of us today because we've read it so much. We're, we're so accustomed to it. It's not startling to us. Although when we dwell on it and sit on it, it can be very startling to our own souls. But you can imagine the people at that time greater than the temple, greater than Moses, greater than my, my religion, greater than these purifications, Greater than everything, and the Apostle John is laying the out. Yes, he is above all. So, what we see here in the passage also is God's great commitment to the Messiah, great commitment to the Son. Great commitment. As I mentioned a moment ago, the scripture tells us that God gives Jesus, He gives the Messiah, He gives the Son. 
the Spirit without measure. Verse 34. Verse 34. For He whom God has sent utters the words of God, for He gives the Spirit without measure. I mean, He gives it without limit. There's no limit to the Holy Spirit. What God has given to Jesus which shows the commitment that God has to Jesus. In the Old Testament, the, the, of course, the Spirit of God was moving, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would come upon a person, a prophet, come on an individual for a season, for a period of ministry, until their ministry was completed. But with Jesus, we read in, in the baptism of Jesus, that account of Jesus being, being baptized, by, the, by John the Baptist, the, the Spirit comes, the Spirit descends and rests. <laughs> the, the Spirit doesn't move and go somewhere else. It rests on Jesus. And that's intentional. It rests, it stays. That Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit. God's supreme commitment without limit. Now, we also see the humility of John the Baptist in this great passage. The humility of John the Baptist. They come to him, his disciples do, disputing with a, a Jew over this rite of purification. Don't know who the Jew was, probably a Pharisee because it's a religious question. Well, the, the, the issue of, of purification. And they come and they ask, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. There's this competitiveness that uh, seems to be happening. A person cannot receive even one thing, humility of John, cannot receive one thing from God, uh, one thing, unless it has been given to him from heaven. Meaning that there isn't anything that John the Baptist has that would have been given to him in his ministry that hadn't been given from, from God. Anything ministry-wise, and that applies to us today. By the way, you know your lives are, are ministry. You, you know that. You don't have to have a, a position or a title on the door. Or something. Your life, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, you're, you have a ministry life. Each of us have different giftings that God uses, different talents that God uses, different experiences that God uses for His purposes. So really it applies to all of us, not only John the Baptist, but anything that came to John was due to God giving it to him ministry-wise, ministry the, the fulfillment of, of His ministry. Anything that comes to you in your ministry whether that's encouragement in a, in a Sunday morning Bible study, whether that's out on some disaster relief project somewhere, whether that's uh, teaching in, in, in some measure with your children at home, whatever that ministry situation is doing, that the, the, the ministry that God is giving there, the ministry that you have, God is giving to you. John says, all of that, it's only has come to me because of God. And I'm here, I'm pointing towards Jesus. Uh, all, all of what I'm doing is simply pointing towards who Jesus is. So they, they, the apostle John says that they were baptizing. The water was plentiful. 
There's that note in verse 34, because he had not yet been put in prison. And that helps us to just connect it, that John, the, the people of the time would have known, at the time John the Apostle was writing this, they would have known, yeah, John the Baptist was, had been put in prison. But as the Apostle is writing this, decades later, he, he's identifying that this, these things are taking place before that imprisonment happened. But you yourselves bear witness, John says. And he says that he's, he's only the, he's the, he's not the bridegroom. He's the best man. That's what, that's what he's saying is, I'm not the Christ. And he said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The one who has the bride is, is the bridegroom. It's, it, it's, it, it's not the best man who has the, the, the bride. He's not in that primary position. He's in a, a secondary position. Humility there. He, he is using something that they all would be familiar with. Remember a few weeks ago I mentioned the importance of the picture of marriage in Scripture and in Judaism. It's a picture that people from cultures all around the world can grasp onto. They can lock onto it. These people can lock on. They can connect with that picture. There's there's the, this this bride, and then there's the one that's we it is betrothed to the bride. But then there's the one, the best man back in that day took care of all of the arrangements and coordinated everything. He wasn't supposed to stand in for the groom. He was making all of the arrangements. And when the, the groom finally showed up on the scene, the the best man steps back and he's overjoyed. The time has come. The wedding has come. That time has come. John is saying, I'm not him. I'm the, I'm the one that is serving him and pointing towards him. So we learn about ministry opportunities coming from God, but also from John himself, this humility that he has pointing towards, pointing towards the greatness of who Jesus is. Exalting Jesus. Like we like to say, making much of Jesus. How important Jesus is to your life. Lifting Him high. Praising Him with our lives. So there's humility we see in the passage. John the Baptist is affirming with all of that picture that Jesus Himself is Yahweh. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Now, many are familiar with the picture in the New Testament of, of Christ and his bride and his bride being the church. But that picture is also seen in the Old Testament between God, between Yahweh and His bride. Uh, we see in, for example, Isaiah 54, 5 in your listening guide. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth 
he is called. Or in Isaiah 62, verses 4 through 5, you shall no more be termed forsaken, for your land shall no more be termed desolate, for you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Jeremiah 2, 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Go, proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. So this, this picture in ancient Judaism was there that, that Yahweh would see his people as his bride and he would be their, their husband and would care for them. And then we have the whole book of Hosea. And that picture is there. And then as I say, the New Testament takes that and builds on it. The church being the bride of Christ. Well, here John the Baptist is speaking in this marriage kind of covenant kind of language when he's speaking to them about the joy that he has and that, 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 that he is only pointing, he is only serving the one who is actually betrothed and will be married to the bride. So, despite uh, all of the, the unparalleled superiority, there's widespread resistance. Widespread resistance. Verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony set his seal to this, that God is true. Well, it doesn't mean that no one believes in Jesus at all. But there is this resistance because you remember in the first chapter, in chapter in verse 12, all that received him, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12. But the, the prior the major theme is, is there, the major picture is that there's resistance to to Jesus and, and his message. People aren't willing, they're very interested, very curious like some of what he has to say, but they're not quite there in stepping over into what Jesus is, is teaching. In John chapter 3, verse 19, we had already we'd seen this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul writing, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's this, this resistance that Jesus is experiencing. Whoever receives his testimony, he sets a seal to this, that God is true. Now, some of the backstory, some of the, the, the picture, the context of what's happening. One of the one of the 
main thrusts for me on this passage today is this John's deep joy. This deep, deep joy is linked to exalting Jesus. Pointing people to the hope found in Jesus. Let's not, let's not miss that. In verse 25, he, he's already talked about the bridegroom and, and rejoicing over the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy, the last phrase of verse 29, this joy of mine is now complete. He must have had some joy prior to that because now he says it's complete. This joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. So I take it to mean that the, that the John the Baptist, he has some joy in him. It hasn't reached completion. But now he says it's reached completion. Why? Because what he's been doing in his ministry is pointing people to the Messiah. And these people are going to the Messiah. They're, they're, they're adopting that what the Messiah is teaching, they're going more towards him than they are towards John the Baptist. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Well, how do we how do we get some of that? Whenever I come across a passage like that, I think to myself, how do we get some of that? What John the Baptist, I, I want, I know you do too. I, how do we get some of that joy? So you see someone like John the Baptist, he says, therefore my joy is now complete. Okay, John, what have you been doing that your joy is now complete? He's been pointing people to Jesus. He's been, he's been pointing to them. He's been declaring. He's been pushing on people also. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to forget. He'll get beheaded. But he, he, he's been pushing on people, pushing them. Repentance. Repentance. The Messiah is ready, coming. Get your business with God taken care of. He's pointing people there. How do I get a little of that? How do you get a little of that? How, you don't want any of that? Let's point people to Jesus. Let's point them to Jesus. And let's see what God does. Now, this, the, the faith, faith and discipleship and being a servant of Jesus is not about us. It's about Jesus. But let's not ignore the fact that, that the apostles themselves and John the Baptist himself mentions joy. So, some people are so concerned that they might exhibit that they have a little joy. That might not be righteous enough that they have enough joy because we're all about we have to be exalting Jesus. Well, that's true. Pastor Mark will never deny that. But let's, let's observe that when we, when, when we are facing... John the Baptist is facing... <laughs> he's facing resistance... Jesus is facing resistance, but John the Baptist surely is. You'll remember the Pharisees coming out there and they want to know what all this is about. He's got some joy in him. He's got some, even though that resistance is coming, he's got joy because he's fulfilling the ministry of testimony. Testimony to the greatness and the wonder of God. Now, our sister gave a testimony over here at the beginning of this, this message. And 
I know they gave, gave you great pleasure, great satisfaction in your soul to know that God was working in your situation and you got to share that <laughs> with God's people. That's a beautiful thing. Okay, here we go. You ready? You expecting any resistance in the months to come? You expecting any resistance in the year to come? Well, how do I get me some joy if I'm getting this resistance? Point people to Jesus. You keep testifying. Wherever God puts you, at the kitchen table, behind a chainsaw, in the workplace, wherever you would be, especially in a pulpit, wherever you would be, exalt God. As I say so many times, we don't want to be ignorant of the, the world that we live in and what people are, are saying in the world. But if we're not careful, we'll just get clouded over. Our minds will be clouded over with all of the concerns and all of the, the weightiness and all of the important, the important things that, that, that we are faced with in the world that we live in. You're going to say, I need some joy today. I need some joy. You know what I'm going to do? I, I, I'm going to send a little email about how great Jesus is. I'm going to send a little text message. Jesus is great. Maybe you don't have the words. I'm going to send a scripture verse. Jesus is great. And you watch God work and give you that joy. He's pointing people to the hope. The only hope that the people, the people have. Uh, he's pointing people to what we looked at. Deliverance. Looking to, looking to the cross. Just as the people in the wilderness look to, look to that snake. There's hope. Looking to the cross. Deliverance from whatever you're in. Are you committed? Are you going to take a step into it and be committed to Jesus Christ? Be committed, and there's deliverance. There's hope in that. You have a, a future, a wonderful, powerful future in ahead of you with Jesus, with God in, in eternity. It's a truth. It's a reality. There's hope in that. And when we point people towards Jesus and we help them see He's really a reliable teacher. He is really, really a reliable te teacher. You can depend on Him. You can live for Him. You can invest your life in Him. The Apostle John has tried to communicate that He is above all. But when you throw yourself into Jesus, and don't, and, and don't weaken with that conviction that you have. You're giving people hope. John the Baptist is giving people hope. Don't get yourself ready now. He's bringing them under conviction. But bring them, bring yourself, get yourself ready because the Messiah is coming. The Messiah was there. Get ready. He's coming. There's a future hope. Whatever you're entangled with can be delivered. You can be delivered out of and Jesus is reliable and trustworthy. So John says, this deep joy that I have now is complete because he's fulfilled. He's fulfilling what God has laid upon him. We're not all like John the Baptist for sure. But each of us, God has laid upon us something, something, some ministry. We work and we dive into that. We testify to the wonder and the beauty of Jesus you watch joy rise up in our hearts.
So John has this, this deep sense of fulfillment and it's directly you know, linked to, to speaking to the fame of Jesus. Increasing. This, this satisfaction that you see it with, with John the Baptist, he has great satisfaction even though he's going to be he's going to be headed, be beheaded. He's going to be killed. But he has a great satisfaction about his life. It, there's something that goes on in our minds that this is what I'm going to do. I'm determined to, to do this. I, I'm, going, I, I'm going to invest my life and I'm determined in our own unique personalities and personal ways, I'm determined to give a testimony to the, to the greatness and the hope found in the Messiah. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to that. And that brings a great deep fulfillment to the, the John the Baptist. That increases in his mind. And then it increases in his, in his actions. That, that what, he is, what he is doing, and it gives him a boldness, a, a, a holy boldness that he's standing for, for Jesus. He's going to live for Jesus. He's going to testify for Jesus. He's not going to back down in this situation. He, he's, 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 got, he's bold about it, and he's got some joy, and here's some satisfaction in his life that, that his life is being fulfilled. God's, God's fulfilling him. Great satisfaction. Now here's the lie. The devil will tell you, working us over with our own sin, but the master manipulator will tell you, you know, if you say anything about the Lord right now, you'll be embarrassed. You're going to be a loser. The exact opposite is the truth. When we say something about Jesus, yeah, we're the winners. We get a sense of joy. We get a sense of satisfaction, a sense of fulfillment. How can it be that, that some of the martyrs you may have studied in, in the past or people that have really profoundly suffered for their faith in Jesus Christ. How can they go to sleep at night on a bed of fleas? And be content. How is that possible? Because they in their life and in their words are pointing people in their unique way to Jesus. The fleas in the bed are a small matter with while they invested their life that day. John says, he must increase, I must decrease. Yes. Now that has truth because it's God's plan to put Jesus in the exalted position, of course, the, 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 the Savior. The one who will give the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Of course, that, 
John himself must decrease. He has to teach his disciples that. But we can learn something ourselves. We can learn something so powerful ourselves that as he increases, our, as he increases in our mind, in our own mind, why do you study the Bible? Why would you come to a, a Sunday morning 9.30 Bible study at your church? So you know more about who God is and a greater appreciation of who God is. Not to pass a quiz, the greater appreciation of who God is and who you are. And guess what? God's going to equip you and strengthen you to give that testimony and point people to Jesus. And you know what? God's going to be glorified. God's going to get the honor. God's going to get the praise. His name is going to be made much of because of, of what you have absorbed and what you contributed, but what you've absorbed and we'll share at a later time. You're going to have deep satisfaction rolling out of that and great joy in your life rolling out of that. that your contribution in that situation meant something for somebody. It wasn't just some religious ritual that you're going through. Nine. So this faith, this faith, <laughs> this faith re re results in e eternal life. But it's all bound up with obedience. Do you see that? So here, the, the Apostle John is here and he, he gives this message in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and fills in some of the, the areas that, that, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't. He, he fills some of that picture in. Tells us about the authority and the greatness of Jesus. And, and here's, here's the invitation. <laughs> before, before they move from Judea and they go to Galilee, Apostle John is writing. Here's the invitation. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. <laughs> That's sure a way to do it. <laughs> that sounds a lot like something the Apostle Paul would write. Let's look at those words. I want you to see real quickly here, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever, notice the two whoever's, there's the two whoever's. Whoever does not obey. Look at the linkage. The linkage, believing, obeying. It's right here, John 3, 36. Right in front of our eyes. Whoever believes, then it is whoever, presumably whoever is important, whoever does not obey. Why doesn't he say, Whoever does not believe. Well, we already have that in other places in this chapter. But here, the linkage is obedience, living for God. Now, that's not shocking again to, for this particular group that I'm talking in front of. But it would be for some people that I can come to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ with my intellect and I'm good to go. Well, brother, sister, if you're in, in living in the obedience, John 3.36, good for you. But if you're one of those that's grasping the whole, I've got it according to the intellect. I've got the doctrine down. I can recite the belief statement. I can do the Athanasian Creed. I can do the Nicene Creed. I can do the Apostles' Creed. Good for you. Are you living in the obedience of faith is what's being talked about here. Whoever believes 
in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey, that is lifestyle. That, that is commitment. Talking about commitment so often. I believe, but I'm not committed. It's foreign to the, to the New Testament. It, that our belief shows in the way we live. Now that works, that's true, as I said last week, with about everything in our life except when it comes to religion. If I, if I you know, somebody says, I believe in the, the Oakland A's. Oh, mercy. Well, anyway, the San Francisco Giants. I believe in the San Francisco Giants. Where did that come from? The San Francisco Giants. I'm wearing the shirt. I'm waving the flag. Yeah, my behavior changed. Right. It's, it's the obedience of faith. Except in religion, of course, especially evangelical religion. Anyway, obedience of faith. And he says finally here, but the wrath of God remains upon him. This wrath of God is this settled, it's displeasure. It's just settled. It's in the mind of God. It's not an uncontrolled, furious anger. Anger. It's, it's a settled displeasure against, cannot coexist with ungodliness. Cannot coexist with, with that. So this, this wrath, it already set, it's there, it remains. We've already seen this before. We saw it before. It already exists. It remains. It's set right there. The only way of escape is this faith. This faith that in its believing, in this, in this believing, it actually is lived out in its devotion to Jesus. So I hope you find encouragement in John chapter 3. Beautiful passage. We'll build on it in chapters 4, 5, and 6 as the apostle lays out for us the wonders and the greatness of Jesus. If there's anyone here or listening who has not made that step of commitment for Jesus, well, let's talk about that. Find someone close to you that you trust that you can talk to about that. Jesus calls, calls us to come to Him. Come to Him. To wear His yoke. And He says His burden is a light one. So let's make that work a reality in our life. If you need to come to Jesus today, please do that. If you have a question for me you'd like to, to send, send it to info at gatecreechurch.org. Let's pray God will help us exalt Him in our lives this week.